Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode covers Season 3, Part 14, Mythology. We're going to talk about what happens in the Twin Peaks locations featured, or the, I should say, Twin Peaks Spirit World locations featured in this episode, and then also just broadly the Lodge lore that's in this episode, what's going on with these different characters and ideas and concepts and visions. And like I said, there's so much to dig into here. This is one of the most mythology-heavy episodes, really, of the whole season. So uh, let's jump right in. For the spirit world, we get some glimpses of the red room, specifically the curtain in Andy's vision. Uh, we see Co- the two Coopers imp- imposed against it. We see Laura and the angels imposed against it. And we also just see the curtain itself kind of hover alongside of it. Briefly mention as well the convenience store Uh, We see it in passing as part of Andy's vision, same as the Red Room. So these aren't locations we directly visit, but they're glimpsed through another spiritual location, which we'll talk about now. The Purple World Tower, this is, I would say, pretty implicitly the place that Andy ends up in. A lot of people call it the White Lodge. This is where he talks to the firemen, and reasons to believe it's that space are, first of all, I think it looks a lot like the place where the fireman speaks to Cooper and the first scene of the series. Uh, That's... Also, you know, and and it just has that kind of design of the tower that we zoom into in part eight. But the fact that the the giant fireman is there all the time just makes it feel like that's kind of what's going on there, I think. In that tower, Andy has his vision, so we can finally describe that. He's sucked up into this place, pops in, and he he looks up overhead. He's holding a little box in his hand that's like some kind of... Almost looks like maybe a lamp because there's like smoke rising from it and then descending into a little spout. It feels kind of like a genie's lamp or something like that. Uh, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. It also looks like a squashed metallic uh, pine cone or something. It's obviously just some kind of cool lynch design. But this little device he has in his hand, it, it spreads the smoke up to this to the ceiling and he looks up in this portal. What Andy sees through the looking glass, if you want to use a Alice in Wonderland slash through the looking glass analogy, or what he sees through the magic mirror, if you want to reference Snow White, is first of all the experiment uh, vomiting up that uh, cloud of goo. He sees the convenience store with the woodsman bustling around in front of it. He sees the woodsman very jerky and jittery uh, floating before him, smoking a cigarette, saying, got a light. Then he sees power lines, a shot that we haven't seen in the show yet, I don't think. And then we see a girl screaming, running through the high school courtyard. This is obviously the scene from the pilot of Twin Peaks, the infamous scene uh, that was repeated at the beginning of this show as well, in slow motion as it is here. In this case, it starts off black and white, as all of that earlier footage in the vision was, and as the space itself is presented. It's an interesting thing to point out that the giant fireman's world always seems to be black and white inside, even though the outside of the, the tower is purple. And when Cooper's in there, which, you know, it seems to be the same place, Uh, The inside is sort of a purple or magenta as well. But this is the moment in this vision where it turns to color. The girl screaming, running through the high school. Then we see the red curtains. We see Laura's high school portrait floating there. Her face from it, not like, you know, it's not framed. We don't see a background. We just see her face there. She has angels on both sides uh, facing towards her. And then we see Nato naked, lying in the woods. I think we see her a couple times. We see both of the Coopers, as I mentioned, blurring together. And then we see Andy helping Lucy in the police station. Like he's guiding her 
towards something and then he runs away and she's just standing there and we see a pole with the number six on it a few different shots quickly dissolving into one another but that's what we see in the purple world tower and then you know the smoke comes back into andy's little device he seems saddened almost by what he's seen or at least it's just overwhelming for him and then he disappears and this is also the moment when the fireman tells him that his name is the fireman which he's been known as the giant until now although during the early part of the return in the credits he's featured as seven question marks in a row people realized he was going to be called the fireman back in uh, part eight because there's a piece of music that was released around that time from the scene where him and dido are walking through that big theatrical room and it was called the fireman and people put two and two together because he had seven question marks and fireman has seven letters and uh, for the zone i've always kind of conflated the zone and the spiral in the sky i mean i think the zone is just sort of another name for all of the lodge worlds but for our purposes talking about that sky spiral that opens up at 253 that significant time that the american girl mentioned to Cooper. This was the time in Twin Peaks in the woods when a vortex opens up in the sky and the leaves start swirling together and that's what opens up and pulls Andy into the Purple World Tower. There's a lot of lodge lore this episode. I would say maybe the most since part eight. Frank mentions that there's two Coopers. Albert explains the Blue Rose case to Tammy. So what this consists of is back in the 70s there were two agents, Philip Jeffries and Gordon Cole, who went on a call where there was uh, some sort of shooting or confrontation between two women they entered the room there was a woman lying in the corner of the room she was identified as lois duffy and she was dying and she said i'm like the blue rose and then she disappeared and they looked at the other end of the room where the woman had shot her who was all freaked out and this woman also looked to be lois duffy even though lois duffy did not have a twin there was no reason why there would be two of her and of course this other one disappeared and she ended up killing herself after she was i think convicted of murder for killing for murdering herself basically so albert tells her that this was the the first Blue Rose case, and this is where the name Blue Rose came from, and asks Tammy to explain this. She says, well, Blue Rose doesn't occur in nature. So that's kind of the metaphor that we're working with here. And uh, she also says the first time the word tulpa comes up in Twin Peaks. There are so many terms in Twin Peaks that are only mentioned one or two times, but fans just take them on and they take on like a life of their own and become invested with so much meaning. But uh, she mentions a tulpa, something that's like a, a, a copy of somebody else like a spiritual projection in a way and saying that's what was happening with Lois Duffy and there's a lot more to say about tulpas I'm gonna save that discussion so for more lodge lore we have uh, Diane saying that Cooper mentioned Briggs when he saw her which of course ties into their sort of metaphysical chase through different dimensions or whatever's going on there Jeffries appears or Gordon says that's when Philip Jeffries appeared or didn't appear because, uh, you know, they said he wasn't really there. And we see that scene from Firewalk with me. We visit Jack Rabbit's palace later in the episode with Bobby describing how him and his father would go there. And his father said, never go here without me. And now they're all there without them. And they kind of look at each other like, oh, what are we getting ourselves into? There's a shot traveling up the stump of Jack Rabbit's palace that is very reminiscent of the camera move that approaches the cliff and the Purple World Tower in part eight to the point where people looked at the shape of it and were like, this is the same shape. So like Jackrabbit's Palace and the Purple World Tower are kind of like eerie uh, correspondences or parallels with each other. Also, while they're out there, it made me think, you know, talking about the listening post and Bobby saying his dad said, don't come out here without him, made me think of the secret history 
of Twin Peaks where Mark Frost describes Briggs having this kind of hallucinatory vision encounter where a force is pressing down upon him and is uh, I'll actually read it aloud here and you can make of it what you will in comparison with part 14. Before he returned, the Leviathan came for me. My memories of the event to this day remain a hazy jumble, blinding white light issuing from a suggestion of some mass or object above me, a silent dark-robed figure beckoning. Paralyzed with terror, I seem to move without volition to some other space, alone, but in the presence of some immense, overwhelming force, as if gravity had increased a thousandfold. A flood of words sluiced through my mind, words not my own, nor in any language known to me, a voice metallic, ringing and bitter. This was knowledge I sensed through my terror, from some unknown order, of a higher vibrational quality beyond my ability to process, uncanny, perhaps electromagnetic in nature, and not in the remotest way, human. But what was it? What was it trying to show me? Whatever I'd been sent into these woods to find had, after all this time, found me first, roughing me up like a midnight dockside beatdown. Whatever this presence might be, it possessed nothing benign or benevolent in form or content, only a cold, crushing, calculating pressure. Time itself stood still, as if whatever place they'd brought me stood outside it. Throughout the ordeal, I clung to one vague hope. If I survived, did this test hold some promise of revelation? I not only feared for my life, I feared the annihilation of my soul. I saw many things I don't remember. I heard other voices I can't recall. All around me, colors constantly phased through the spectrum, blue to green, red to violet, black to white. I felt alternately like a ragged, empty doll, then nothing but searing pain that rent my flesh with sadistic ease. I saw eyes watching, felt pressure in my mind, as if thoughts were being forcibly inserted. I'm fairly certain I journeyed back and forth through time, watching it unspool like some immense, omniscient recording. This actually sounds a little like the atomic explosion in some ways, especially the, talking about the color and the black and white and just the pressure of it and the inhuman force and uh, feeling like he's a ragged, empty doll makes me think of the experiment kind of shuddering through space. So this actually almost leads me in a different direction now that I reread it. Uh, you know, it's certainly a much colder, darker, I don't know if dark is even the right word, just a more brutal encounter in the woods. This also actually makes me think of the Throbbing Gristle album Gift Gas. Four or five tracks are called like Lucifer. Jesus. God. And uh, they're experimental music that's kind of terrifying. And uh, we'll get into that in a second as an analogy with something else that's in this episode. But I just wanted to throw that out here for a moment. A few other things to notice before we get to that. At 2.53, of course, is the time the American Girl talked about. As I mentioned before, we see a lot of electricity in the midst of nature. Like, it's just an interesting phenomenon to see this crackling of electricity, which we associate with human power, even though, of course, lightning is electricity. But, you know, this type of electricity we think of as, as, as human-designed and controlled. And we're seeing it out in the woods amidst these trees kind of crackling in the smoke which creates a very nice visual effect as well as they find nato there the discovery of her was making me think about this idea of this characterization of mysterious knowledge or wisdom in a female figure 
Uh, you see that with Monica Bellucci, too, sort of sharing this wisdom with Gordon Cole. And it brought me back to Greek mythology figures like Sophia or Cassandra. And uh, Cassandra in particular was interesting because I, I, I was looking up information on, on both of these figures. I think Sophia is more like a personification of the abstract quality of wisdom. Now, Cassandra, on the other hand, though, she's the prophetic figure who, in Greek mythology, this made me think of Sarah Palmer. First of all, obviously, she's a prophet, so she has these prophetic abilities, but nobody really understands or appreciates them, so it's in vain. The frustration is she can predict what's coming, but nobody else understands. This makes me think of Sarah in the grocery store, obviously, with the cashiers saying the men are coming, can happen to you too. And then uh, the other element is that Apollo, according to the myth, he tried to seduce uh, Cassandra by giving her the power of prophecy, but when she refused him, he spit in her mouth. And that, of course, makes me think of the frog bug uh, entering into her mouth. And there's also another, I guess, manifestation of the myth, which has a snake licking or whispering in her ear as she sleeps. So again, we just have this instant kind of connection to that figure. And I don't know if that was something Frost had in mind as somebody who is really into mythology and all of these sources, or if it's just a coincidence or what. Seth Shine, a scholar, writes about Cassandra. She evokes the same awe, horror, and pity as do schizophrenics who often combine deep, true insight with utter helplessness, and who retreat into madness. This, again, I think really resonates with the portrayal of Sarah. Now, to return to the woods and also to Throbbing Gristle, we see a gold pool instead of a black pool near NATO. And this is the idea, I think, that maybe this is the, if that was the gateway to the Black Lodge, this is the gateway to the White Lodge. This is kind of the anti-Glastonbury Grove. There's just one tree there that looks, maybe makes us think a little of the the evolution of the arm hovering over it instead of those 12 sycamore trees, and blacked gold with gold as a color or just something that Lynch is obsessed with. He talks about it constantly in terms of meditation, pulling up the gold. But it's worth noting, this isn't just like a comforting sight. This is, in its own way, as eerie and unsettling as the Blackpool, maybe even more so because it feels almost more powerful in a way. It's kind of frightening and intimidating. And so the reason this makes me think of the Throbbing Gristle album is because the tracks called like God and Jesus are just as frightening in their own way as the Satan or Lucifer ones, uh, but just in a different way. It's like a different form of terror or power. In the South Dakota spiral, the center is light in the center and then it becomes as it opens up and it gets bigger and bigger we see that it, there's a darkness in it a black spot in the middle that gets wider and wider and bigger until it envelops almost envelops gordon this one does the reverse it starts off there's sort of a black dot in the center but as it opens and opens it's it's a light it's a white light that then uh, andy is brought into so again this idea of black lodge and white lodge people have speculated that the reason um, certain parts of it are in color and certain parts in black and white are that the color things are changeable. Whereas the earlier stuff, that's set in stone, the atomic explosion, the woodsman. I'm not sure. My guess is that it's more of an aesthetic decision where he wanted this in color, he wanted those other parts in black and white, and then it made a nice transition to 
transform from black and white into color. I don't know if there's more of a structure to it than that, but it, it certainly does work aesthetically. So even if that is just it, that's probably enough. NATO, though, interestingly, is black and white in uh, both shots, I think, of her in the woods. So even though other stuff is, is color from that point on, her stuff remains like that. I'm not sure what that signifies. Later, when Freddy is talking to James, he describes a vortex of this massive tunnel in the air. He says, this bloke's there. The fireman is what he calls himself. Uh, before he talks about punching Jobsworth for the glove, you know, apparently. He calls somebody Jobsworth, but they say, oh, that's more than my Jobsworth. So that's a little bit of a slang. I guess I didn't know <laughs> if anybody did beforehand. That's pretty much it for the Lodge lore. I had to touch on most of this stuff earlier with, you know, so one exception, the the stuff with Sarah and uh, what's going on when she removes her face. So let's spend a little time on that. Now, as far as Sarah goes, so when she removes her face, there's like a sort of a black and white grayish space beneath it. And then a hand emerges and kind of rises and falls. And then there's like a set of teeth that are grinning like a Cheshire cat grin. And when you break the sequence down, what you can actually see, the shape or the, the whatever's beneath Sarah's face, it isn't all black. It's like a black hole surrounded by a white or a gray. I think when you see this, it's pretty clear it's the experiment. This black maw, this opening, this mouth, that's what you're seeing underneath Sarah's face. And when the hand reaches up and reveals the teeth, that's the experiment's hand pulling her face off. So what you're basically seeing, I'm pretty sure that this is the case here, is Sarah removing her face to reveal the experiment, the experiment removing her face to reveal the teeth beneath. And of course, there's one more element in play here as well. When Sarah removes her face and we see the mouth beneath her, we see a nose or at least a sharp, pointy object poke out twice, like zap out really quickly. And that appears to be the jumping man's nose. The bug that crawls in the little girl's mouth, it has a long nose that is easy to miss unless you kind of pause it and look at it. A long mosquito bug nose that also obviously matches up with the jumping man. And it has strong hind legs, so it's actually leaping, literally jumping up into the window and crawling in. So these connections are being made. I think what Lynch is doing here is going back into Firewalk with me to this rich, fascinating, totemic figure of the jumping man that I don't think he necessarily had an explanation or a need for an explanation for at the time, and retroactively saying, ah, okay. There's a story of Michael J. Anderson walking past his editing booth and hearing him say, pause it, pause it, and then there's like a moment of silence, and he says, ah, so that's what I meant by that. So I kind of think that's what's going on here with the jumping man. And finally, a quick note for this episode as I wrap up this podcast uh, speaking from 2022, several years after I recorded this originally for patrons. First of all, I had to edit quite a bit out for a couple of reasons. One was this was initially a spoiler podcast when I put it on Patreon. So I mentioned a name, uh, let's just say another name that people call the experiment, that uh, it doesn't quite even come up that way in the return. Like they don't actually use the name to call the experiment. But since the name itself comes up later, I thought... Well, we'll save that. So I'll have a link in the show notes to the Patreon episode if you want to hear a little more. There's also a discussion in that part about Sarah where I talk about uh, how the teeth below the face that is removed underneath her face, that those, those are Laura's teeth because that was a common belief at the time. Somebody had done a little photo study and then someone did a deeper study of it and said, those aren't Laura's teeth. Look, these 
are different. So for a time, people thought it might be the jumping man's teeth. There were all sorts of different theories. But the point is, my whole monologue about that uh, was interesting because it talks about Martha Nockamson's theory about different layers of Lynch and how fundamentally, you know, what's underneath is more unified and Laura is underneath because it's her teeth and blah, blah, blah. But it was all premised on the idea that they photoshopped the teeth from Laura's portrait. So the fact that that's no longer true, I, I didn't want to put it in here, but I didn't want to mention it because, uh, you know, you might find it interesting as a general thought, even if it doesn't apply here. So I'll put the time codes to those moments in the Patreon episode uh, below and you can check those out if, if you want to hear more on the uh, podcast if you've seen the upcoming episodes and uh, want to meditate a little more maybe in some even not necessarily accurate ways about Sarah and the experiment and the jumping man and all of that at one more note this episode is obviously up not just a day late but two days late I've gotten so bogged down in re-editing the part 14 episodes that uh, it's it's really put me further behind than I've almost ever been while doing this. So I am trying to keep up. I'll certainly finish out this week. I hope to continue with parts 15, 16, 17, and 18 into the end of the year as planned, but uh, I am lagging on this and other podcasts that have been postponed um, as well uh, on other feeds. So it's just, you know, it's that time of year. It's a lot of work to uh, repackage these. So sorry for the delays, but hopefully you're enjoying what you're getting anyways. And uh, I have already done the illustrated companions that come out on Saturdays for parts 15 and 16. So that's done at least ahead. Not much else is. but So uh, the next episode should be ready hopefully later today because it's an easier one to put together. That will be on the current events of this time period. And then either later today or tomorrow, hopefully catching up with the in the weeds part. But first, the current events tomorrow. So I'll see you then, of course. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can support this work on patreon.com slash lost in the movies. 